Hello everyone, this is Arts Equator's podcast about the arts and we're currently in Centre 42's recording studio. Welcome to today's episode. I'm Adip Kosnan and I'll be hosting today's episode with Citrus Practices. Now, who are Citrus Practices? Firstly, we have Cory Tan, writer, researcher and practitioner. Hello, Cory. Hi. We also have dance practitioner and researcher, Elizabeth Chan. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. And finally, we have performance maker, facilitator, drama Turk, and capo cat, Chong Gwaki. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Thank you for being here today. So, Citrus Practices, they stand for the Care, Intimacy, Trauma-Informed and Safer Practices in the Arts. It's a loose collective of arts workers and practitioners who came together in 2021 to dream, read and explore ways to further grow conversations and better practices in the arts around care and intimacy especially, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which also involves with working in more trauma-informed and safer ways. So today we'll be talking about a few things and basically the main objective is to get people a bit more familiarised with the work of Citrus Practices. So my first question is for Gwaki. Could you tell us more about how Citrus Practices came about? Mm, thanks. So Citrus Practices actually came about from a series of really serendipitous opportunities. So in 2020, um, the National Arts Council actually approached dance artist Bernice Lee and myself to curate a workshop around how to safely stage sexual intimacy. And I think at a point when they approached us, we were really excited. Like, yes, we should be talking about this. But at the same time, we also felt like the framing needed to be broadened a little bit more, that we need to be talking about how a culture of care and consent really needs to be attended to and practiced across the entire kind of like artistic and creation process, not just a tool that's used for specific kind of like sexual intimacy scenes or physical intimacy scenes. Because of this, we counter-proposed a kind of five-session workshop series looking at care practices in art making. Um, so it's called the Making Performances with Care, Approaches to Care and Intimacy in Performance Making. So very long name. You can tell that really like long names here. So after the workshop, which went quite well, I think the participants and the facilitators were all really interested in continuing the conversation. And this coincided with Centre 42 actually um, revamping their residency structure and launching the collab residency to support artist-driven collaborative exploration. Um, so then the few of us really put together a proposal to come together as a more formal kind of working group. Mm. Um, but I think I also wanted to just emphasise that I think Citrus Practices also came about from this larger um, movement kind of internationally as well that there was the Me Too movement which took off in 2017 um, that led to so many local artists creating work around these themes in 2018 and 2019, right? Mm. And I would say that maybe it was also in response to these things happening that the National Arts Council felt like maybe we also need to think about the literacy in, in the local context. Mm. For Elizabeth and Corey, did you also resonate with this in your own practices through your own work? Mm. I was one of the participants in the Making Performances with Care series and um, at that point, some of the things or knowledges like trauma-informed care that they were sharing with us was new to me. Like, I knew it was important to care in a more like, uh, norm not normal, but like a more general sense, but I had not known these vocabularies and I found it really useful like when I was doing my work in... Um, dance research so after the workshop series there was a call to be like hey let's do something together and then i was like yes i'm in yeah was it the same for you Corey? 
so I was involved in that initial series of workshops as a documenter. So I was kind of working alongside the curatorial team to really take down and almost annotate the journey that all the participants and curators went through. And that I think was a really epiphanic and transformative process for me as a witness to really see people collectively making sense of what the urgency is in the scene were. I think people had different sets of priorities which complemented really well. I think some people were really interested in, let's say, focusing on certain specific populations, right? So mm. maybe body safety for kids, for example, would be a strong priority for a lot of people or uh, talking about being a parent and an artist. How is caregiving supported um, mm. in art-making processes? Um, other people were, of course, very interested in intimacy direction, right? How do you stage moments of intimacy very safely and choreograph that safely on stage? So it was really exciting to see, I think, all these points of view. And as a researcher, I research performance criticism mainly. And I'm very interested in thinking about critique and criticism as a form of care work, mm. um, how does a robust sense of criticism support the scene and the ecology that we are in? So I think I was really drawn to to the work on all of these levels. It felt um, something very important was emerging from these discussions that I still, I think, continuing to grow. Yeah, I think the the idea of critique coming as a form of care is something that I resonate with a lot in terms of improving the community in, in general, right? Uh, being a theatre maker myself. And were there any other previous iterations or similar work that you were all um, influenced by in the past that led you to actually opening up this conversation? I think there are a lot of local practitioners doing such work and it was precisely because there were so many practitioners doing work around care and intimacy in different areas that led to us wanting to counter-propose the workshop series, right? But that it felt like there was already a lot of knowledge, there was a lot of experiences, you know, with Bernice and Fei and um, Chan Siwei coming from the contact improvisation community that they had already been negotiating these questions of body boundaries mm. and, yeah, how do you set up a space so that touch can happen safely, right? Mm. Um, and of course, there's been Ila with her work. Um, and maybe, Corey, you want to talk a little bit more about Ila's work because I feel like you talk about it so well. Aww. So Eli was also one of the facilitators for the initial workshop series. Um, and during the workshop itself, she shared a lot about um, restorative justice, transformative justice. And, and these are really nascent vocabularies in Singapore. I think um, one of the big struggles is that we, we don't even know how to implement some of these practices um, in our scene, which tends to be quite small and insular and everyone knows everybody. And it can be very difficult to address harm that's committed. That's something that I think has always been a strong part of Ila's work. And of course, she does a lot of diff other different things as well. Um, I think another thing I wanted to bring up to add to that kind of tapestry of conversations that were happening, um, the Good Practices in Singapore Theatre Paper of Recommendations mm. um, that was uh, collectively put together just at the start of COVID-19 also feels like a really important resource to share mm. where the, the group behind it was really convening a lot of focus groups to, to think about various practitioners and how they responded to things like contracts um, or intellectual property. And it felt like a, a really significant undertaking that I think is also part of this, this same discourse. Yeah, I think you've, you've all touched upon it, but in terms of the various aspects of citrus practices, right? Care, it, 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 it's the first thing that you talk about and it's also the largest focus. Um, why specifically care? Mm, I think I personally really like care as in a way, almost a broad catch-all term, right? That mm. I think about intimacy as 
being part of care, um, intimacy direction, I think about boundaries, consent culture, like these come under a broader culture of care for me personally. And at the same time, I also recognize that care is such a loaded term nowadays, right? Like everyone uses care, like, okay, let's be more caring. And it becomes sometimes a little bit fluffy. And I think there's a lot in academia about, you know, how do we trouble this, um, the usage of the word care and understand that care is not just being about fluffy all the time and being soft and you know just saying yes to everything but that care to care seriously takes a lot of consideration takes a lot of time and effort and capacity mm. and I think that part of what we've been trying to do at Citrus Practices is really to explore how we can care better but also to to find ways to make that kind of care work more pleasurable and more fun and lighter so that it's something that we are all excited to do rather mm. than something we feel like, oh, we have to do this thing. Why? <laughs> to add on to, to Guaki's uh, more expansive reading of care, I, I totally agree, yeah. I think we often align care with to do with coddling or, you know, uh, something that's, that's soft or tends to err on the side of being positive all the time. I really like this definition by care ethicist and political scientist Joan Tronto with her collaborator Bernice Fisher. And they talk about how caring can be viewed as a species activity that includes everything that we do to maintain, continue and repair our world so that we can live in it as well as possible. And that's from their article towards a feminist theory of caring. And I think this was one of the things that really guided a lot of uh, citrus practices work. Um, I like the term species activity because it allows us to think not just human to human, but ecologically mm -hmm. um, in terms of ecological or climate crisis and also for, for caring for more than human or non-human things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a process of maintenance, right? You can't just care for something one-off and be like, yay, I can for something. <laughs> you know, let me check the box. Uh, Elizabeth is making a checkbox action. <laughs> it is a really a constant process and it's really adaptive to various situations. You can't always apply the same formula for care into mm -hmm. every single situation. I think that's something that that's why I like that it's called citrus practices because we are trying to practice it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. But to think of, of care as this maintaining adaptive process that can't easily fit all situations mm. is, is something I think about a lot. Mm. A question that I think about a lot in terms of care is also how to balance, I don't know if balance is the right term, but how to like fight with like self-care and mm. caring for others at the same time. Um, because I do believe that we are all interconnected and the way that our society is structured now often like we believe in the concept of like scarcity we need to mm. compete for resources and if it's not me it's not your dog eat dog world and a part of me really doesn't like that and is looking for a different way to live and to be with people and more than people things so mm. yeah that's that's how care matters to me i guess and, and in my work as well yeah it's something that i, I really resonate with because i feel Having been in the industry, there have been instances where I felt that more care could have been shown or in, shown in a different way. And when I try to do my own work, I struggle sometimes with how do I allow that to that kind of environment of care that my collaborators deserve? Mm -hmm. How do I maintain that, mm -hmm. right? So that brings me to my next question in the sense of specific issues in the arts currently, right? Um, what do you think are some of the issues that really 
uh, urgently need relooking? What worries you? That's a really big question. Mm. Well, I think this is actually a question that I've been thinking a lot about over the course of the pandemic. I think the pandemic has really revealed a lot of gaps in our in our sector, right? And I think it's still difficult for me to think about the people who have left the sector because they weren't able to sustain themselves. And I think that kind of financial sustainability is actually a very big part of care work, right? That I don't think everything boils down to finances, but you know, as a as a producer or as a co-coordinator of the working group, it's been deeply important to me that even if we're excited to do the kind of um, research or talking to people or creating resources, that there are also financial remuneration for that mm. so that the work can be sustainable rather than people trying to make everything happen mm. within within a very limited capacity. So, yeah, I think that's something that I'm thinking about in terms of the broader sector but then also for specific individuals i think this question of how to advocate for yourself um, how do you figure out why you want to take up a project right and what are your non-negotiables mm-hmm. i think that is something that we actually wanted to highlight quite strongly in the library of care project like this aspect of reflecting on yourself reflecting on what are your own personal boundaries what are your non-negotiables but also what you know, again, what excites you and what energizes you so that you can really understand how maybe in the context of being a freelancer or being an independent, that you're able to kind of constellate the different projects such that you're able to maintain that balance for yourself, right? That Ellie, you were talking about the kind of between the self-care and the collective care. I think a lot of it starts with first understanding your own capacities and what you're able to manage at any one point in time and I think when you feel like you have a personal abundance I think then it's also a lot easier to kind of care for the people around you. Mm. Mm. I do think in the arts we lack more formal uh, structures or like policies to address harm like recently there were a few cases of like um, uh, sexual abuse or sexual assault in in dance context, like with children, and I feel like there needs to be more done. I'm thinking of um, Safe Sport SG, mm-hmm. where uh, sport as an S P O R T S S. Sports SG. Please look up their website. (laughs) Highly recommended. Yeah, so they have a very comprehensive um, policy document that attends to things like sexual harassment or other forms of abuse in the context of sport. And I, I think it would be great if, you know, the arts had something similar or was we, we were able to work towards something similar so that not everything would be, you know, relegated to like gossip or like he said, she said, that kind of thing. Yeah. I really resonate with what um, Elizabeth and Guaki have shared and, and I'm com- completely aligned with that as well. I'm also thinking a lot about how the current structures we have tend to benefit people who um, maybe fit uh, a certain profile mm. or, or uh, maybe a more majority in the space. Mm. So if you are from a more marginal position or community, it can be very difficult to fit all the checkboxes that allow you to move smoothly through a scene. Mm. So for example, if let's say you are a parent um, and have major caregiving responsibilities, but the rigidity of a a certain platform or schedule maybe doesn't allow you to spend the time you need Mm. with your child, right? So who are the people who are not covered Mm. by 
how we expect things usually ought to run. You know, everyone can, oh, adhere to a rehearsal schedule in this way, are expected to be on time for certain hours. You know, how do we factor in people who don't fit easily into these boxes? Mm. Or it could be something like, um, let's say you're a minority race uh, performer. Why is it there are few opportunities for you in the scene, mm. for example? Um, how, can, how can a scene as a whole adjust itself to allow for more equitable casting, mm. for example? Mm. So I'm always thinking of... of the people or communities who just fall off because they just don't fit mm. the majority profile mm. of other workers or practitioners. Mm. Um, that's something that I think um, frustrates me. I think particularly in a very bureaucratic Singaporean context where everything you, you, let's say in terms of grant applications or every kind of application, you're expected to hew towards a certain kind of form, right? Mm. Or a certain kind of output. So what happens when, when you don't easily fit um, into those frames is something I think a lot about when I think about the malleability and the adaptiveness of care work. Yeah, I really appreciate mm-hmm. the the thought and, and the, the breadth of the communities or the, I would say, the minorities that you guys have, have taken into account as you were talking about care. And I mean, we're talking among among the few of you who recognize that there's this need and also that um, it is something that uh, needs to, something needs to be done about, right? Uh, in general, how do you think our whole community or industry, what place are they at to be able to think about these better practices? Have you seen any promising developments maybe in the past months or years that, that is showing that we might be able to open up this conversation a bit more? Yes, God, God, <laughs> hope. <laughs> um, I mean, I think what has been really exciting for me with the working group is that because there are now a lot of people with a lot of networks within the working group in that sense, we're also hearing more about the different kinds of efforts that are happening in different pockets of the sector. So for instance, we found out about how Objectives also had their own workshop series around um, image making and thinking about boundaries and consent um, and the ethics of that, right? Mm. So the languaging is a little bit different, but... Yeah, I think just finding out that there are pockets of people. I also want to do a shout out to the Consent Collaborative. So they have also been doing more work focused on intimacy direction. And you can find them at, I think, the Consent Collaborative SG or something. You can look them out on Instagram. Um, it's by Prescott and Lee Hong. And, and yeah, I think there are lots of pockets of people in Singapore who are doing more work. I think the next step now for me is really how all these different efforts can kind of add up to something bigger Mm. and also be able to sustain over time, right? I think that is actually a bigger thing. It's not so much that people haven't been having these conversations, but that these conversations are are often maybe a little bit more short-lived, that that people have energy to do something and then Mm. it's great, like the good practices paper, Mm. (laughs) Um, which is amazing, right? Like, it's this incredible like document that that is so rich um and then i'm really curious about where it will continue to go or whether companies are able to kind of like take that on board and work with it and and i think maybe that's where i'm hoping that citrus practices can help to fill the gap a little bit that we might not be doing many things (laughs) because we have limited capacities but I think we are committed to being in the scene, that we are committed to being around and to keep holding space for these conversations so that we can continue to partner up with other people or that people will start coming to us to to have these conversations, right? 
I think like my sense whenever I uh, bring up care with arts practitioners outside of Citrus, it's always like, oh yeah, yeah, everyone's interested. Like, yeah, that's, it's so important and these things are not being talked about enough. But I think there's still the sense that care work is too troublesome or takes up too much time that we need to commit to the actual doing, you know, like, so sometimes care work is taken for granted or seen as something not tangible enough. And, and I feel like there isn't, like, we could create platforms for conversations, but what is something that will ignite? Yeah, like, <laughs> catalyze those opportunities and gatherings. Yeah, it's still question mark. Maybe on a final note, yes, I, I mean, I do agree. I think there are many more emerging conversations about care work and care ethics and care practices. One more group of people I do want to shout out is looking at arts practitioners who work a lot with uh, persons with disabilities. Mm. So I really want to shout out um, Access Path Productions, mm. um, headed by Grace Lee Koo, for example. I think they have been just so instrumental in thinking about development work in this area. And also um, Equal Dream Singapore, mm. which is a, a more newly founded social enterprise. So the M1... Fringe Festival works with them really regularly to make sure all their shows are captioned, provide access services. Um, and I think more, more and more theatre groups, including mm. Singapore Repertory Theatre, are looking at how can we do touch tours uh, mm. for non-sighted mm. people? Um, how can we have relaxed uh, performances if, let's say, your child is neurodivergent um, and wants a more relaxed sensory area mm. to experience a show? So I think there's a, a great deal more sensitivity to this, particularly, I think, in the past couple of years. We mm. see so many more theatre companies incorporating, you know, captioning subtitles into their work, which I think is such a, a wonderful step forward. Mm. But I think, you know, it's still at a smaller scale and to be able to do this collectively um, as an entire industry to really implement access support, not just with audience members, but all the way throughout a production, for mm -hmm. example, would be really exciting. I do think there's so much more attention paid to how shows are staged together with access support, and I'm excited to see that continue. I'm just wondering if this is a good point in time to segue uh, to Ellie sharing a little bit more about the Library of Care, because I think Ellie, you were talking a lot about like how people feel like it is, that they're excited about it, but they feel it's troublesome, right? And I think that's really part of the impulse for the Library of Care. Like, how do we break things mm. down into smaller pieces so mm. that it doesn't feel as daunting? That's true. Like, a lot of the questions that I receive are like, how? You know, around the how. And that's one of the key things that we really wanted to push in the Library of Care. So, the Library of Care is a digital resource or website that we propose for the NAC um, ARH self-employed persons grant and then the core team consists of uh, Chong Gua Ki, myself, Elizabeth Chan, Ang Kia Yi, Hu Guan Xian, Fei Lim, Teo Xiao Ting and Jacqueline Chong and Corey has also been working closely with us for um, the public dialogue that we have coming up um, on 26 March as well as helping out with the speech to text interpretation for our events. So in the Library of Care, we bring together resources around care concepts and practices. And as of now, the library has four um, books, uh, Getting to Know Yourself, Open and Regular Communication, Unpacking Consent and Addressing Harm. And then under Getting to Know Yourself, we touch on concepts such as values, needs, boundaries and power dynamics. So the first three books are more about setting up and maintaining certain care practices and structures. And then the fourth book on addressing harm is for when, in spite of our efforts to care, harm does sometimes happen anyway because we are human and we make mistakes. Um, so here are the things we can 
do to attend to harm uh, with as much care as we can instead of just, you know, minimizing or ignoring it. In the first um, three books, we have divided them into subcategories uh, where we begin with definitions of what a concept is or is not, followed by reflective questions, which are separated into self-reflective questions such as how often do I say no to others mm. and questions for a facilitator or an organizer of encounters such as um, how do we all know that we are gathered for the same purpose? And then uh, after reflective questions, we have warm which are suggestions for people to practice expressing care through certain ways. It's something like a rehearsal for you to try out a new practice or you know, say things in a new way with a trusted friend or partner. Then finally, we have the diving in section where we suggest concrete methods to apply uh, these practices in your work, actual work-like processes. Mm. And then the fourth book, which is Addressing Harm, we also uh, begin with definitions and how to spot harm, but it's structured slightly differently. Uh, we have suggestions for those who have experienced harm, uh, for those who want to support someone else who has been harmed, for those who have been told or realised that they themselves have harmed others, as well as resources about where to go for help, and we also provide some conversation scores for difficult conversations. So for now, we, we just have these four books, <laughs> um, as well as some suggestions for ways to use the library. But in the future, we do hope to expand and include more books on things such as access work and mm. caring for the environment, etc. Yeah, so that's the Library of Care. I've, I've had the pleasure of being part of uh, some of your initial content workshops, right? And um, personally, as a practitioner, uh, what Elizabeth talked about, the tangible the, the tangible things, right? Mm. You have the desire, you have the, the want to do something, but sometimes you you may not be have the bandwidth to actually be able to dive deep into how do we do these things. So what I really appreciated were actually the reflective questions at the start. Mm. This idea of, okay, you it comes naturally sometimes in certain aspects of facilitation work, for example, or um, when you're talking to actors uh, as a director or as a playwright trying to get certain nuances out of it, but you don't apply them to yourselves at the beginning mm. of the process. Mm. Uh, I think because of the nature of our industry, because of the pace of certain deadlines and also um, the strength of numbers or the lack of numbers mm. in certain than uh, areas of art making. Yeah. That's something that we, we kind of put by the side, right? Mm. So to have it all in one resource like this, it really made me excited actually to, to have that and to hear the anecdotes. Um, I think during that workshop, we shared a lot and we, we, we yeah. shared a, across the industry uh, mm. and it was so heartening and saddening also to hear the same issues coming up. And sometimes we tend to see ourselves as a silo or a representation or like, yeah, this happened to us, but they, they probably deal with it better or or we will not do mm. things like them, but actually it all comes from the same place. Mm. And nobody wants to put on a bad show. Nobody wants to intentionally be a bad person. Mm. So I think for me, I really appreciate the effort and also the resources that you guys have put together for the Library of Care. Yeah, thanks so much, Adib. I think maybe to also give some context to the, the kind of feedback workshop that Adib was referring to. So I think in the process of developing the Library of Care resource, um, the project team curated um, two different content feedback sessions. Mm -hmm. The first, um, both, both took place in the final quarter of 2021. So the first involved mostly arts practitioners across a wide variety of sectors. So from music, performance, visual art, um, we, we tried to, I think, invite as diverse a group of uh, practitioners as possible you know, some producers, um, some artists to really give us really robust and rigorous feedback about 
this resource mm. <laughs> that, that we, were, we were all kind of trying to put together. Mm. So that was the first workshop. The second workshop was a broader, uh, more cross-sectoral workshop where we also invited non-arts practitioners to see whether actually this is applicable to your context as well. Mm. So I think through those two rounds, the, the core project team really uh, received a lot of feedback that they're trying to work into the digital resource as a whole. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, guys. The Library of Care is something that is an answer to a question that I asked, right? So what do we mm. need to do as an industry? It is a, uh, it is a resource. Mm. It is a step in the direction. And there's also something else that's happening later this month, right? On the 26th of March. Mm-hmm. Ching, ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, public dialogue, right? Yeah, so maybe I'll share a bit more about that. Um, I'll be moderating the public dialogue that's going to be happening on the afternoon of 26 March at 3pm, also at Centre 42 in the Black Box. So we're really excited to share the Library of Care resource more widely with people because at the moment it's you know still something that we've been just working on in a small group of people, maybe with some invited um, people to give feedback. Mm. So I, I'm really excited for it personally because we've invited three really incredible practitioners to actually give the Library of Care a whirl. Mm. So we've invited... Uh, Diva Aga, who is a visual artist. Um, he works a lot through installation and performance in digital media. We've also invited Tan Bing Tian, uh, who co-founded The Finger Players, but now she's an independent theatre practitioner. She works a lot with um, puppetry, but she's also really invested in access work and accessibility. And finally, we've also invited Shaza Ishak, who's the managing director of Data Gamadra, um, which is a minority ethnic theatre company here in Singapore who does really incredible, powerful work. So the three of them will be taking this month to look through the library of care resource that we've shared with them and to to maybe shortlist one to three practices from this resource that they feel, ooh, I can try this out in my own practice and see whether it works or doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, we're equally curious to see whether it works <laughs> or doesn't work. Um, so I'm really excited to hear from them once this little experiment is done in at the end of March. So Shaza, Bingtian and Diva, we really are, <laughs> we're really looking forward to, to see how that went for you. Um, and, and the idea is that, you know, the things that they are implementing in their practices can be small or large. I think it, it's really up to you how adaptive you want these practices to be. So, yeah, we'll find out. And we're hoping to also, you know, in, invite members of the public to to come down to witness this and to have a discussion with us mm. um, about um, what our three panellists will be sharing mm. and also um, their own experiences of navigating the library of care resource, which maybe is a good time to ask, how do people <laughs> access this library of care resource? Guaki and Ellie? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, so I would say that the team got, the content team, um, which is myself, um, Ellie, Faye, as well as Tio Xiaoting, um, we got very, very excited and we wrote a lot of things. Um, the feedback workshops were also really great. There was a lot of feedback. Um, and I think where we are right now is that we are maybe at a phase one of the library resource that we have it on a Google site and it will be available upon request. So we have a Google form that people can fill in um, just for us to be able to track um, the number of people accessing it or maybe some of the reasons why people might want to access it. And then we're hoping to be able to find more resources to support the actual development of the site into a fully blown website that has, you know, proper UI, UX that people would be able to navigate the content more easily. Mm. Um, And yeah, then I think that would be the 
actual proper launch of the site. Will they be able to find the Google form on our Instagram page bio? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we will have that on our bio. Or you could just sign up to come for the public sharing on the 26th of March. Mm. Um, and as part of the registration, you would get an early link to the Library of Care. So that's something that you'll be able to look through. Mm. Great. So what's next for Citrus Practices? What are your future plans and what do you hope to achieve? What else is the pipe dream for Citrus? The world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think because we have the library of care right now, I think the most tangible next steps is really that, I think as Ali said, we would like to be able to add more books to it, that we recognise that within the current team, we also have blind spots and there are also things around, for instance, access or maybe thinking about sustainability or even like intimacy direction, right? Like that's not something that the current team has experience or knowledge about. And I think that moving forward, we really want to invite other guest writers to come on board to contribute their experience as well as to, you know, just constantly work on the material for the Library of Care. I think as each of us are learning different things, like right now I'm actually taking a course in nonviolent communication and wow, already I look at the content, I'm like, yep, there are things that I want to adjust already. Mm. Um, and recognising that it's probably not going to be at this point, but in the next phase of developing it, I think we would want to adjust it. And that feels like how the library will continue to develop, that we'll just keep refining it and tweaking it and hopefully making it into a resource that becomes more useful. I think mm -hmm. something else that might be in the pipeline is that different. Um, so maybe we won't share too much about it, but there's an artist uh, who is interested in maybe taking some of the information from the resources and turning them into toolkits or in other forms, so non-digital non forms. Um, yeah, so I think that's also quite exciting. And we're also interested from hearing from others, like from listeners or, you know, anyone who's interested in these topics. You can follow us on Instagram at citrus.practices. That's at C-I-T-R-U-S dot practices. And you can reach out to us if you have thoughts, questions, interested to join, mm. got resources to help you, also can. Yeah, and maybe I'll just add a quick note that we're not really a formal working group with a formal like membership mm. or whatever it is. Um, I think that we are quite deliberately a porous working group that people come in and go out. And I think the hope is that, yeah, like to whoever's listening to this, mm. um, if there are ideas that you're curious about and which you feel like maybe the infrastructure or citrus practices can support you, please definitely get involved with us. Um, you know, either through DM, DMing us, wow, DMing <laughs> us on um, Instagram or just emailing us directly at citrus.practices at gmail.com. And that's something that I think we'd really love to just have more conversations. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think on a personal note to add, I think I really appreciate the metaphor of the library as something that can continually be expanded, can be curated in different ways. We can foreground certain books, you know, others can be put in the clothes stacks, you know, or refreshed. Mm. Um, and that also, you know, we are not the encyclopedia mm. for, for everything definitive about care, right? Because that would defeat the purpose. Mm. That we have to continually expand and grow it and adjust and adapt. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're not infallible, right? I think mm. what I appreciate is that it allows for this elasticity of the project. And I appreciate that, you know, we do finally have some kind of public resource available so that 
um, people, you know, especially independent practitioners or self-employed practitioners, don't feel so alone in navigating a lot of these very isolating issues. You know, like what Ade was sharing earlier, like, oh, oh my God, so many similar things, but people felt really alone. Mm. Um, and I, I would really hope, I think my personal dream is that there are fewer kind of like bathroom networks or whisper mm. networks where people are saying, oh, don't, don't do this, don't work with this person, mm. you know, and, and that we find better processes of addressing things rather than just whispering them to each other, mm. right? So that that can be, you know, public resources or case studies or possibilities or, or even going to a group who would understand how you feel navigating something. Mm. It just feels really helpful to me, even though these are just early steps. Mm. So I think that is my aspirational <laughs> personal dream, mm. I think, um, as as a member of this porous group. And I, I really appreciate what Guaki brought up about porosity, because then, you know, depending on um, the level of commitment you can afford, you can, you know, really devote your time to certain projects or, or maybe other things take your time and you come back. I really appreciate this kind of loose way of, of working with others to, to remind you that, Yes, there's a collective network around you that can support you. But if you need time away, that's also fine. So mm. I think that's what my hopes, my rambling hopes are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. I, I don't think they are ramblings because I feel uh, like whatever you have said is something that I personally have gone through myself. The idea of having to step back and before being able to give a full version of myself to the community, to the industry, to the project. And on that note, I really like to um, send my uh, thanks and uh, appreciation for your time today for your generosity in sharing this and also for all the hard work in collecting and holding space for these conversations mm. um, this has been an Art Secreter podcast and we had uh, today three members of the Sutras Practices um, Corrie Tan Elizabeth Chan and Chong Guaki. thank you ladies thank you very much for spending the evening today my name is Adip Kosnan thank you everyone for listening <laughs> <laughs>